the, the, the hope that we have today is in the Word. You know, uh, <laughs> of all people, Aaron Rodgers, uh, I thought, said it well. They, they were questioning him about not being vaccinated, and he said, and they kept saying science, you know, shows. And he said, science is all about asking questions. Well, I want to tell you something. That's true. You can't come up with good science unless you've asked a lot of questions. And I think we're still trying to ask questions and get answers on, on COVID and the uh, variants and everything else. But God's Word stands forever. And we can trust the Word of God. And I want to thank you for being here today. This, is, this kind of feels like either right before or after a hurricane. When we don't put out the refreshment, you know, any kind of beverage or any kind of food, and we're at kind of like half-mast in terms of, you know, support team. And uh, the congregation, those who are really bold, come out to the service. And, uh, and so that's where we are today. I, I, this week, uh, in a day and a half, I made uh, uh, nearly 40 phone calls to families that were out with COVID or with, with the flu or with the cold. And, and probably some of those didn't really know what they had. And, uh, but they're, they're, they're trying to recover. I will tell you that most of the congregation is recovering, uh, yet there are a few who in the last few days have gotten sick. So we need to really pray for them, and many of them are watching online last week. I know we didn't meet at all, and uh, so you you were able to experience the service from my living room, and uh, but we had a good service, and uh, many people after were sharing on the phone how it ministered, the Word of God ministered to them. And that just blessed my heart to hear that. So today, I want to thank you for being here. Those of you who are, this is the faithful remnant of the church. I, I, I know that all of you will make heaven. I'm not sure about the rest. That's, there is no scripture for that, I can promise you. That was total flesh. Just, just playing. Uh, but uh, we do want to pray. Let's pray for them right now, for those who are not here, and for other churches in our community who are trying to, to uh, lift up the word of the Lord. Father, we, we pray for those who are sick all over our county and beyond, Lord. And uh, in this time, there seem to be a lot more questions than there are answers. And even when statements are made publicly, uh, it seems like if you give it just a little time, that statement proves not to be true. So, that, there, that just raises the level of uncertainty, of question, and yet, Lord, what you're doing through all of this, I believe, by the Word of God, is you're using it to draw people to you, that you're, the, the real hope is found in you. Uh, it, it says in, in the Psalms that I sit in silence, for my hope is from him. And I, and I pray that, Lord, everyone here today can experience that, that, that we would turn to you and we would receive help in our time of need. We pray for those who are, who are watching by live stream and those who can't even do that, those who are just in our community who are just struggling terribly. We think about families that have lost loved ones in the last year because of COVID, and we just pray that you'd come near to them today. One thing we know from Scripture, from both the Old and New Testament, is God, you, he, you see us, you hear us, and you come to us in our time of need, especially when we place our trust in you. You're able to, to move in our lives and use us for your glory, and I pray that that be the case even today. And we just thank you for your word. We pray that uh, you would just open up the Scripture to each of us in a very objective way and subjective that we would actually experience something uniquely different from the person sitting next to us as the spirit of god does his work in us and we give you praise for that in jesus name and all god's people said amen, amen. but we can't possibly begin where we left off in chapter seven until we first review chapter six and that's why gary read for us the latter portion of chapter 6. And in chapter 6, by way of review, quickly, let's go through. And by the way, this teaching today, there is no way anybody in their right mind should be attempting to cover all of chapter 7. I guess I don't have a right mind. 
and I'm going to try to move quickly. It'll be kind of like a jet tour through chapter 7, which is Stephen's defense against the accusations that Gary talked about that were made against him by the Jewish leaders. And we're going to cover that, but we've got to set it up. So we go back to chapter 6, and in verse 1 it says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So a dispute arose among the Hellenists. The Hellenists are the Grecians. They're Jewish people who, for the most part, have ceased to practice eating kosher, and they have been so influenced by the Greek culture, which there were pockets all over the known world of the Greek influence because of Alexander the Great and all that he conquered. And so these are Jews who are living in Jerusalem. Even in Jerusalem, there were Jews who were Hellenists, who were of the Greek culture. And so they get saved, many of them, on the day of Pentecost, like others. And now they are coming to the apostles uh, with a complaint that in the distribution of food, because there were so many who got saved all at once, Many of those who were saved could not travel back home. They had to stay in Jerusalem because of the level of, uh, well, their, their family members would have kicked them out. They, they had no place to go. They, have now, they are now believers in Christ. They're no longer practicing Judaism. And so there is this swelling of people who needed food. And so they set up, God set up a welfare system where you'd come and you would sit and they would feed you. And the church was feeding those who were hurting and those who were doing without or didn't have much. And in that, uh, the complaint is that as the Grecian widows were coming through the line or sitting at the table, they were not getting the same portion as the Jewish widows, those who were practicing Jews and who had gotten saved. So, so there's an issue. And it's interesting that the apostles said, we're not going to we're not going to give ourselves to this. We can't spend our day serving tables. That's not the role that God's put on us. We must be given to prayer and the ministry of the Word. I would tell you, as I've walked with and talked with many pastors, as I listen, I hear them talk about everything but prayer and the ministry of the Word. It's as if this culture, this culture has, has inculcated them that to be a pastor, I have to do many things. And for some of them who are in smaller churches, they're doing everything. And everything except spending quality time in prayer. Spending quality time preparing the word that they're going to deliver to the body. And, and so that's not shepherding. You can be a pastor, you can be a leader, and not be a shepherd, even though biblically they mean the same thing. But a shepherd is given to two things. A shepherd is given to lovingly feed and lovingly protect the sheep. That's the role of a shepherd. Lovingly feed and lovingly protect. Both of those are achieved first and primarily by the proper teaching of the Word of God. And there are other ways, and many pastors are very successful in those other ways. But I'm telling you that there's a lack of teaching, and, and this is what these men were guaranteeing not to happen. They were not going to put themselves in a place where the teaching of the Word and the ministry of prayer, praying for people, meeting with people to pray, that, that's so important. And i got to tell you, I've been there. I've been on that side of the ministry where it becomes about everything except prayer, everything except focusing in, putting in quality time to, to, to deliver a message. And the sheep suffer for it. And so I just think it's foundational in the church that in, in the infancy of the church, 
they, they made sure to protect the two most important things, lovingly feeding and lovingly protecting the body. So, so therefore, it says in verse 3, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this day. And Stephen was chosen along with Philip as one of the seven uh, who was filled with the spirit. Stephen had the task of waiting on table. So Stephen started out in the ministry as a waiter. He was a waiter. But, but the Holy Spirit had big plans for him. I would love to say it took a lifetime for him to get to the point where he could carry out this great ministry plan for God. That's not the case. It came real quick. But it didn't start with the big. It started with the little. And I want to say something about that. I, I, just pulling it from the passage here, I think it's important that we remember that we need to be faithful in the little things of the Lord and not worry about the big things. Let's be faithful in the little. And then as you're faithful in the little, God will give you greater ministry. Someone might approach me and say, Pastor, I'd like to get involved in the ministry. And they'll even make a suggestion. You know, I think I can teach. I think I can. And, and, uh, and they're thinking in front of the body. And I'll say, wonderful. We have a wonderful children's ministry. I'd love for you to start there if you would. Because if you can teach children the word of God, then you'll be able to teach adults. And, and sometimes people will, they'll, they'll balk at that. What? Kids? No. I, no, start with the little. And then let the Lord give the increase down the road. I, I think it's so important. I think we want to start at the top. I once worked with a pastor who told him, I said, one day you're going to be a senior pastor. And I said, have you ever given thought to that? And he said, yeah. He goes, I, I probably would never take a church under 400. <laughs> and I thought, you haven't given enough thought, <laughs> at least not the right thoughts. Um, if you're already laying out the size congregation that you have to have to pastor, no, that's not the way it works with the Lord in his economy. In his economy, we just do the little things, the simple things well, and leave the rest to God. You know, when, we, when, when this church was started, we didn't have a plan. We didn't have a vision. We just didn't. We, we saw people who were hurting, who were drifting. They were not going to church anywhere. And they were frustrated. And so we just had a little circle of people that would gather and put somebody in a chair in the middle of the room and we'd lay hands on them, pray for them, for healing. For some, it was emotional healing. For others, it was physical matters and spiritual matters. But we just prayed. And it... Every week we'd say, please don't invite people. This is not church. This is a place where we can minister to people. People need to heal. People who are drifting, people who are not connected into a church, don't share with others than that. That's, that's the only thing we're doing. Every week it kept growing. And we, we immediately learned that we're not here to create a vision and a plan and then ask God to bless it. We're here to join God in what he's doing. What is he doing? Well, he's ministering to people who are broken and disenfranchised. So let's minister to them. And that's how this church got started. And to this day, we don't have this big vision and things that we want to achieve. By the way, in 2021, twice we made offers on properties to purchase property. Because we're, we are looking for a facility. Very thankful to God that without any fundraising, the church has just, the Lord's blessed the body. Uh, I sit with the finance team, and some of you are here today. Ben, I see you back there. You shared the announcements earlier. And uh, the Lord's blessed this congregation. And so we've been able to save some uh, significant dollars. And we're looking, and we tried twice. And the Lord said, no, that's not for you. It didn't work out. I'm sure this year we're going to keep our eyes open and keep looking and searching and praying and another opportunity might arise and we'll make an offer on that if the Lord leads us. But we're not really in a hurry. We want to be patient. We want to wait on the Lord. We want to do things in his timing. Why am I saying that? Because that's how we should handle our homes. That's how we should handle our own personal business waiting upon the Lord, letting the Lord lead us. 
Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Slow down. Ask God what He's up to. Find out what He's doing and go, go be part of it. Join Him in it. Amen? We'll never get through all this. Okay. Um, in verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase... And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests. So the Jewish priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So God's moving mightily in this early church. And Stephen is, he's using Stephen with great wonders. You say, well, what are the wonders? A wonder is something that God does that causes people to wonder. And so whatever Stephen was doing, God was in it, and it was miraculous. And, uh, and people were wondering more about God. I thought I had it all figured out in Judaism, but evidently I don't because this guy, is this, he's a Christian. What's going on? And now priests are being saved. Well, that stirs up the Jewish council. That stirs up these, these fraternities of Jewish men. And now they come to Stephen, they're concerned. Verse 10, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which, with which he was speaking. Then they would question him about his practices. He, he gave answers and they couldn't refute them. He, he spoke truth. He spoke from the word. This is a waiter. Sometimes we think I've got to be uh, you know, a titled minister before I can really be effective for God. No, this is a waiter who God is using mightily. By the way, this whole idea of anointing, and I know that it's popular in some circles, others it's not as popular, but you need to, you need to move away from this idea that only certain individuals are anointed. That's Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would come upon someone, like David when he was made king. He was anointed by the man of God. In the New Testament, the Spirit has not only come in us, but he is upon us, ippi in the Greek. You, you all are anointed. Every Christian is anointed to serve the Lord, to love people, to care, to nurture, to bless. No longer do we look to a person as the anointed one. Now, now we see the role in the church. It's changed. And, and so Stephen's just doing what God's leading him to do. And all of a sudden, it stirs up this great controversy. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes. And they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses. So they knew they couldn't refute him. And they knew the council couldn't refute him. So what did the council do? Get us some false witnesses, some people that will say things about him that are not accurate. And they did. And they said, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place, which would be Jerusalem, which would also be the temple, and the law. And we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the place, this place, and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Stephen, that's a half-truth. By the way, half-truths are lies, right? In fact, they're more dangerous lies. Uh, you know, if somebody just tells a straight, outright lie, you can go, okay, that's a lie. But if somebody throws a little bit of truth in there, now it causes a little confusion, and that's what they're doing. And so, verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, wait a second. Let's put this in context. This is a man who is having to defend himself against false accusations. They're rising up against him, and yet in this strenuous, stressful moment, he has the face of an angel. He's at total peace. He has this sense of absolute peace and confidence that the Lord is with him. I love that. And that brings us to chapter 7. So let's get started. And the high priest, we won't go all the way through, but let's try to go as far as we can. And the high priest said, are these things so? 
they're referring to the false accusations. Speaking, let me give those to you again, what, the, what they said about him. Speaking, you're speaking words against Moses and God. You're speaking words against the temple and the law. And you're saying that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this temple and will change the customs that Moses gave us. So the priest said, are these things true? In verse 2, Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. So now Stephen, who's being accused, is going to give a defense, okay, before the council. Now, what's, what that's going to lead to is his death. So here's a young guy who's a waiter, who God begins to move in because he has the same spirit as every other believer, and he's being obedient to the Spirit, and God starts doing these wonderful signs and wonders through him. It attracts a crowd. Now they're coming. He begins to share the gospel. The priests are getting saved. That gets the council involved. They're concerned about that because they're losing priests. And Stephen now is being accused falsely. And he has the face like that of an angel. He has peace. This man, this single guy who's a waiter, who now God has raised up into a larger platform to communicate the truth of the gospel with the highest level leaders of Jerusalem. Only God can arrange that, amen? And so Stephen, it's interesting, he's going to start out being the accused, giving a defense. He's going to end up, by the end of his his defense, he's going to end up making the accusations of them and them not being able to refute the accusations because they're accurate according to the Old Testament that they know. And so it leaves them with no other course but to have, have gnashing of teeth. I mean, these guys were so hot and heavy on Stephen, they picked up rocks and began to stone him to death. So let's look if we can. Look at verse 2. The God of glory, this is what Stephen told them. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. What he's going to do is refute the accusations that they made before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died... God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it. Abraham never owned any land except when his wife died and he purchased the property for her to be buried. Not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others that would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. So Stephen's really painting with a broad stroke here, covering a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of events in the life of Israel. But I will judge the nation that they serve in God, and after that, that they shall come out and worship me in this place. So God called Abraham out of the land of his fathers to come to a land that God would ultimately give to him. Do you understand, again, what's happening here? This is not Abraham coming up with some brilliant idea and going before God in prayer, Lord, here's what I think I want to do. I want to leave my homeland. I, I just think there's this land out there, and I want to go out and maybe do my own thing, and I just need you to get behind this and support me. No, no. This is not Abraham trying to convince God that his plan is good. This is God leading Abraham. Abraham is simply joining God in what he is doing. By the way, that's all that Jesus ever did. In the book of John, in the gospel of John, Jesus actually said, I never do anything of my own initiative. As I hear from the Father, that's what I do. So if Jesus would never try to step out on his own while he was incarnate, why would we, when we have access to the same Father by the Holy Spirit? And so, so he's now getting ready to lay this out. Look at verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob of the twelve, look at this, not the twelve sons of Jacob, he calls them the 12 patriarchs. 
It's very important. He's identifying the sons of Jacob as the patriarchs. Let me explain. He shifts away from the Abrahamic covenant, which was through circumcision, and now he addresses the patriarchs of the nation Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. Understand this, that in Jewish history, knowing their forefathers and holding them up is extremely important. And here, Stephen is identifying with them by saying, you're patriarchs, the 12 sons of Jacob. And they're agreeing. They're going, yes, yes, that's right. But here's the thing. It's almost sickening when you think about how the Jews go beyond what is healthy in terms of reverence or or just healthy memory of those who led them. They would actually, if you, in the Old Testament, they would go to the site of Abraham or the site of Moses or the site of, and they would literally pray near the cave or the tomb or the grave because they felt that by getting as close as you can to a former saint, a former patriarch, God is still there, and a little bit of that might come off on you. By the way, there are churches today, I forget what they call it, Scott, you might remember, but where they literally go to those loved ones who knew the Lord, who walked close with God, who were strong in the Lord, and they pass away, and these people today will go and lay on their grave, hoping that some of the spirit that was in them would come into them. What is that called, Scott? Crazy. Amen. That's a good answer. But that's the Jews didn't go that far with it, but they really felt that if you could get near to the patriarch who's passed, you would be nearer to God. That's what they thought. And so so Stephen is going to lay out, he's going to, he's now built up recognizing the patriarchs, but now he's going to use the patriarchs, as his defense against their accusations. And he said, he goes on and he said, uh, look at verse 5, yet he gave no, him no inheritance, okay, that's Abraham, and then he comes down to verse 8, and he gave him the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him, and now all of a sudden, uh, Stephen begins to look at these patriarchs more closely. And he uses another name. He, he actually begins to, to call them our fathers. Look at verse 9. And the patriarchs, je- okay, so now they're thinking, okay, this guy's connecting because he recognizes he's upholding our patriarchs. But then the next sentence, look at this. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. God was with who? Joseph, not the patriarchs, and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all the household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction. And here it is, our fathers could find no food, speaking of the patriarchs. So patriarchs, out of respect, our fathers, these are our fathers those that you uphold, those that you talk about all the time. These are men that you want to to follow. They they are your examples. And yet, they were jealous of Joseph, their youngest brother, younger brother. Verse 12, but then when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out, uh, out our fathers, his sons, On their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the son of Hamer in Shechem. So that's the first example Stephen uses to show that their glorious fathers rejected God's ordained leader, Joseph. 
Now we move to the second example that Stephen uses, and he's going to talk about Moses. Look at verse 17. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. And he dealt shrewdly with uh, with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as his, her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds." And when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brother would understand that God was giving them salvation, deliverance by his hand, but they did not understand. So the first 40 years of Moses' life, he's in Egypt and he's coming up. And he's trying to help a brother, another Jew, and they didn't understand that. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them and said, men, you you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside saying, who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. And when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he was, he, as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. And then the Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Everything he's saying here, all of these Jewish leaders in the council, they are agreeing with him. He's absolutely calling it out as the Old Testament scripture reveals it. He's just sharing the truth. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now I come, I will send you to Egypt. So the angel is telling him that God has seen, first of all, he has, he has seen the affliction of the, of, the, of the Jews in Egypt, and then he heard their groaning, and then he came down to deliver. And Moses is going to be the one to do the delivering. I, 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 that We should take comfort in that, especially right now, church. That right now with the the sickness and all the setbacks that come into a new year, nobody starts out a new year wanting to experience sickness. Nobody sets out with things that kind of knock you off course. But that's what happened. That's the reality. I believe God uses it to draw us closer to him, to trust him more. But here's what you can absolutely bank on, that God sees you. Right now, God sees you. He, he sees your, your situation. Those on live stream who are sick, God sees you. God hears you as you cry out to him. And God will come to you. God is always, by the Holy Spirit, in us, and he's always willing to help us. Come boldly before the throne of grace and receive help to receive mercy in your time of need. That's that's your God. That's the nature and the character of God. And we need to hear that right now. As a church and as Christians all over the lands, we need to hear that. This is so good. So verse 35, this Moses whom they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. So first there was Abraham that God led to a land. He said, you're not going to possess the land, but I will raise up your offspring and they will possess the land as they turn to me and I will judge those who are against them. And that happened. And he used Joseph while they were in the land of, of sin uh, Egypt being a type of sin, he delivered them. 
and now it's Moses who's doing the delivering. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses, this is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. So, so, Mo, so Stephen is saying Moses is another leader, just like Joseph. And guess what? You rejected Moses. When you got into the wilderness, you complained and grumbled and said, we're heading back to Egypt. We had it better there than we have out here. You rejected Joseph. Our fathers rejected jo- Joseph. Our fathers rejected Moses. Both are God-led leaders. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. And with our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. You rejected him. And then he goes a step further and he says, and God said through Moses that he would raise up a prophet like Moses. Who's he speaking to? Jesus Verse 39, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt. So it was on Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the law, gave him his word, and while that was happening, our fathers refused to obey him. They thrust him aside in their hearts, and they turned to Egypt. Verse 40, saying to Aaron, make for us God's who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So he had been gone for 40 days up on the mountain, and the people became impatient, not wanting to wait on the Lord, but take matters in their own hands, create their own plan, and they go to Aaron and say, make for us these these gods that we need. And Verse 41, and they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it it is written in the book of of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Rethan, the images that you made to worship and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. So this is all, I mean, he's moved covering a lot of territory. So because of the rejection of God and God's ordained leaders, ultimately it's going to lead to your captivity for, you know, for all those years in, in Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to take, make it, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they disposed the nation, dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David. So, so he's covered Joseph being rejected, Moses being rejected by your fathers, the ones that you hold up. And now he looks at another accusation, and that was what they said about the temple, that he spoke against the temple. Verse 46, this David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophets tell us. (coughs) You're making a big deal out of the temple. God doesn't live in the temple. The heavens cannot contain God. How would the temple in Jerusalem contain God? So he's making a point very strongly here. In verse 46, (coughs) excuse me, who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. So he keeps going back, calling out the names of the patriarchs, reminding them, These who were led of God did not obey God. The sons of Jacob did not obey God. Verse 49, (laughs) heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Boy, that's a great reminder to us. Did not the hand of the Lord make everything and everything including you and everything including Everything that you possess, 
Everything belongs to the Lord. You're nothing more than a steward, a manager of God's things. You say, no, pastor, I own these things. I've got the title deed to it. I know I own it. Uh, okay, when you die, is it still yours? It's not yours. You might pass it down, but they're going to die too. It all belongs to God. It would do all of us well to remember that we're only here as stewards. Everything you possess belongs to the Lord. Everything. Verse 51, now Stephen comes in for the kill, even though he'll be the one that physically dies. He becomes the accuser. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people, <coughs> excuse me, uncircumcised in your heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow, that's a strong statement. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to the leaders of Israel. As your fathers did, so do you. They rejected God and the leaders of God, so are you. You're rejecting God and his leaders. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They put them all either to death or suffering. If you think about, think about it, excuse me, Isaiah was sawn in two. They took Jeremiah and threw him in a, in a dungeon. And, and Elijah and Elisha, they faced incredible persecution because they stood up against evil. All the prophets suffered at the hands of the Jews. Remember, there's two kinds of oracles that a prophet in that day in the Old Testament would bring. And by the way, I, I, the modern-day prophets, I, I'm not really big on that. I think there's a lot, of, a lot of false prophets out there giving false prophecies. Because in the Old Testament, the prophets gave two types of oracles. They gave oracles of blessing and oracles of woe. That's it. When God would want to bless the people, he would send the prophet and an oracle of blessing would be given. When he wanted to come against the people and try to get them to turn back to him, he would send that prophet with an oracle of woe. Woe unto you. Jesus came and said, woe unto you. And, and when they came with blessing, then the people, the Jews, were so happy to see them. And we had the big service. You got up and gave the big blessing. And, oh, we're so blessed by you being here. And would you please come to my house? I've got a roast, uh, a roast lamb that we'll make, and we'll have a wonderful time together. And the prophet was blessed by that wonderful meal. And the next time he shows up, now it's an oracle of woe. And he gets up and says, woe to you. And the people are like picking up stones. Nobody's inviting the prophet into their home for a nice lamb meal. Now it's a whole different ballgame. By the way, things haven't changed in all those years. When people say things that we want to hear, man, they're our, our good friends. When they speak the truth in love, all of a sudden, you're not my friend. It happens. We're, it, we're human, right? That's the way it is. And he's saying, that's what you've done. You've rejected God as he gives you leaders. I've simply come, get with a message that God put in me, and you're rejecting it. Which of the prophets did you not persecute? And, and, they, killed, and, and they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. So you guys are just like the prophets of old, you, they put the prophets to death. The Messiah himself showed up that they prophesied about in the Old Testament. He shows up. You put him on the cross. You murder him, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. So he's telling them that they are worse than their fathers. They killed those who prophesied of the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. You're worse than your fathers. That's quite a charge. And it's a true charge, by the way. They were betrayers and they were murderers of Jesus Christ. He was also accused of speaking against the law of Moses. Verse 53, who you received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. So the law was given to you through Moses, but you never kept the law. So you, all these things that you're accusing me of, you're just like your fathers in the Old Testament. Verse 54, now when they heard these things, because they couldn't defend against, it was true. So they were enraged, and they groan, uh, ground their teeth at him, 
But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen sees Jesus not sitting on the throne next to the Father, but he sees him standing. I believe that is extremely significant. I believe that Jesus stood to receive into heaven the very first Christian martyr. Stephen will be the first martyr of, of the church. And as he's about to die, they're, they're tossing these huge rocks at him. He looks up and God pulls back the curtain and he sees into heaven, the third heaven, and he sees Jesus standing. Do your own study on that. You won't find Jesus standing in heaven at the right hand of God. This is it. He's always seated at the right hand of God. But for Stephen, for being faithful to proclaim the truth of the word, to call out sin as he has done, Jesus stood up. While he's being stoned to death, Jesus is standing, cheering him on. Wow. By the way, that's not the only story in, in church history. I cannot tell you the number of people who were put to death. Bloody Mary alone put at the stake and burned so many church fathers. I think about Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer. I think about all these wonderful leaders. The Goose, John Hoos being burned at the stake, and every one of them, as the flames are coming up on them, in one, set, in one case, they started singing the hymns peacefully while the flames are engulfing them. Another started calling out the name of the Lord and proclaiming the gospel while the flames are taking them. They had an experience like Stephen. That is your God. And I got to tell you, because you are anointed, because the Spirit lives in every one of us, every, every week, we ought to be accused falsely. We ought to be taking a stand for Christ. Not speaking belligerently, not, not trying to earn somebody's hate, but just being faithful to the one true God, living our life faithful and taking hits for it. Jesus did say that if that's you, if you're reviled for my name's sake, you're blessed. You're blessed. Peter said, if you're not being persecuted, how can you call yourself a Christian? The word witness alone, martus, it has the idea of being martyred. If you are a witness for Christ, there is a chance that you could be martyred. That's what you sign up for when you become a believer. That's why this Evie beliefism doesn't work in the real church. Because it costs you everything to stand for Christ. Amen? And that's what we're called to do this week in Vero Beach, Florida. We're called to stand we're called to love everybody, everybody. Love them, but stand for truth. Let the chips fall where they may. I've got a file in my file drawer, and it's, it's loaded with letters or emails that I printed from individuals who at some point in their past were caught up in sexual sin. And it's all kinds of sexual sin, adultery, fornication, homosexuality, many different types of sin. And every single one of them, God delivered. And they look back on, and I, especially those, who, those letters that were sent to me from former homosexuals, 
who said, because you stood on the truth of God's word, I hated you. And yet I still knew deep in my heart, while I was out there saying, this is the way I was born, a couple of them were mouthpieces in the homosexual community, LBG, I can't even say it, forgive me, in the, in the homosexual community, they were a mouthpiece. And now they said, the whole time you were saying those things, I knew it was true. I was in total rebellion to the truth. And please don't ever stop speaking the truth. The world will not want to hear that story. But that's the story of God in people's lives. And that goes for every kind of sin. This week, as you see someone and you know that they're, they're failing, they're falling, they're, they're in some besetting sin, you've got to look beyond that. You've got to see that they are a person who God loves and who God created after his own image and that you have an opportunity to love them and where the Lord gives opportunity, share the truth. It might cause them to reject you. It's okay. It's okay to get rejected. They rejected Jesus. You're in good company. But be faithful. Amen? Father, thank you this morning that this was a lot of scripture to cover. We never cover that much, but, but that's where the text takes us. It's, it's a complete theological masterpiece that Stephen gives, this waiter <laughs> that was filled with the Spirit. And he brought every single Jew that listened to the truth. And in this case, they rejected that truth. But, but the Bible says in Revelation that you're going to send forth witnesses to the Jews, and in the end, they will turn. Many will turn and be saved. The greatest outpouring of evangelism on the face of the earth will happen towards the end, the very end, and many will be Jews. So God, may we be faithful to the word, not because of what's popular in culture today, but what is right in the eyes of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here, church. And let's pray for those, continue to pray, and maybe next week we'll have a full house. Amen. By the way, we are planning now... We're going to evaluate, but we're planning uh, that possibly next week we can have the food again. So we're not wanting to hold off any longer than we have to, but we did today. So uh, we'll have coffee and on all the refreshments. All right. God bless you.